Let's get into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics by going anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campia Show. With that down, let's get on to main topic number one, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Jack Drees, who writes, let's be real. 2020 has been a wreck for the entertainment, for the entertainment industry. It absolutely has. However, of the entertainment we have received, Anya Taylor-Joy has been in, well, a lot of it. She's been in Emma, Radioactive, and The Queen's Gambit. All of these have received positive reviews, with The Queen's Gambit becoming Netflix's most popular limited series. Say what you want about The New Mutants. Here's my question. Is 2020 the year of Anya Taylor-Joy? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in. And you're right, this really has been a... A bit of a breakout year for her. Like we've been familiar with Anya Taylor-Joy for a bit, but you know, she's never been prominent. I think that's the, a good way to put it, Rob. Her name has never really been prominent. This has been the year where she's had some prominence, like everything from New Mutants, which was supposed to come out originally, I believe in 1997. I think that was the original release date. We finally got it earlier this year and then culminating up to The Queen's Gambit, which a lot of people like I know Rob included. Would I say that this is the year of Anya Taylor-Joy? I'm going to go against some traditional thinking and go, no, I wouldn't call. I would say this has been a good year for her, clearly, culminating in Queen's Gambit. This, this has clearly been the highlight for her. There's going to be some Emmy talk about Queen's Gambit next year. Absolutely, there will be. And she's really good in it. But for me... When I consider something like the year of so-and-so, to me, that suggests that that person had like a number of huge milestone things, like just a number of big, big, big milestone things. And I don't think every year has somebody that it's their year. I think there are a lot of years that come and go where it's not really anybody's year. But once in a while, it happens. So would I say it has been... The 2020 is the year of Anya Taylor-Joy, no, but it's certainly been a very good year, Rob, and, and I think that's good enough. And again, yeah, New Mutants, it is what it is. Rob, I know you really appreciated Queen's Gambit a lot. What do you think? Do you think we can sit back in this train wreck of a year and maybe say it's the year of Anya Taylor-Joy? How do you look at it? Well, first of all, uh, she's become easily one of my favorite actresses. I mean, I was a huge fan of The Witch. I yeah, so was I. So was I. And and I I thought, you know, what Robert Eggers did with that film, it's very difficult to create the kind of atmosphere and tension and 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 creepiness that he was able to do and a lot of that was due to her performance. I mean, she was front and center in that movie. Uh she is clearly the more I see her speaking on the talk show circuit, uh she's clearly devastatingly intelligent, whip smart, uh, really knows her stuff. Her parents are she has an international background and I think she's I think she's the real deal. I think we're seeing the emergence of somebody who seems to have their head screwed on uh, their mind in the game and is trying and interested to build a, a great career. And she seems to be doing just that. She's working with Eggers again now in the Northman. And um, uh, I think, 
the Queen's Gambit, I mean, the focus that she had to bring to that role was astonishing to me. And I, I think it, it, she was in every scene of that show, uh, aside from the flashbacks when she was, uh, you know, a, a younger girl. And I, I, it was an astonishing performance. I mean, if you saw that performance in a movie, you would have been blown away. But seven episodes of of that miniseries where she's she's asked to do a lot and create a difficult character. And I, I was blown away. So, look. 2020 was a year of a lot of things, John, <laughs> and and a lot of things that people are going to forget, not anytime soon. But definitely, she was certainly a high point for me. And I think, if anything, uh, 2020 was the year that Anya Taylor-Joy certainly brought the highest numbers Netflix ever had for one of their miniseries, but she also gave a lot of people a lot of entertainment and and put smiles on people's faces, made them think, made them feel and I think for that alone, she deserves some kind of an award. It's also kind of, I think it's fair to say a couple of things. One is that it's definitely been the year that made her a household name. Like mm. if you, in 2019, some people would recognize the name Annie Taylor-Joy when you say her name because she's done stuff, like you said, The Witch, which I thought was fantastic as well. But she might be best known like when she looks back on this two or three years from now and we think of Annie taylor joy 2020 may not be the year that we think of that's the year she did queen's gambit or that's the year she did. it might be known as the year that was the year they announced her as the new furiosa that's the funny thing that it right. might ultimately right. be that so that was another big thing that happened for her of course that she's going to play the younger version of Charlize theron's furiosa in an upcoming george miller adaptation which is interesting so a lot of good big things have happened for her and i know i'm going to be looking forward to seeing what she you know, does in the future like absolutely what i really like about her too is she's not traditional looking you know she's got kind of this ethereal almost extraterrestrial beauty about her and and like she, when she was playing kick-ass iliana rasputin in new mutants i thought she was terrific in that even though maybe the movie didn't didn't it didn't live up to what she was bringing but she was supposed to be playing kind of a hard ass but she just has the kind of look that elevates movies if that makes any sense i mean if you look at the the clothes and the and the the how she actually just looked in queen's gambit she looks like a a star and, and she looks she like does. a star out of the 50s, too. She's got that look. You know, what my wife said about her as because as she was the one watching Queen's Gambit, she said she is the most awkward looking, stunningly beautiful woman. Like when you think of stunningly beautiful, there, there's something so unique about her look. And yeah. I remember actually she was just in the news lately because Annie Taylor-Joy is just saying she doesn't think she's attractive enough to be a legit movie star. And, and and I was like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. I'm not, yeah, no. yeah, not to put down her opinion, but I don't agree with that at all. But she's got a very unique look. But she's got that almost like Elizabeth Taylor era kind of movie star look to me. I can't put my finger on it. Like I, well, I can't work so well, you know, in the Queen's Gambit, being that it was a '60s mm. period piece, it, it, she just fit right in. And the fact that she's not, she doesn't look generically beautiful. Her beauty is unique to her. Yeah, you can't really sit is. there and go, yeah, she looks so and so looks just like Anya. It's not like Bryce Dallas Howard and, and Jessica Chastain who can get, you know, mixed up on the street in front of people. You know, they keep <laughs> getting recognized as one another. It's I don't think there's anybody that's ever going to be like mistaken for Anya Taylor Joy. And I like that about her. 
Yeah, me too. All right, guys. Question is, what do you think about that? I mean, maybe you haven't seen Queen's Gambit. I do recommend you check it out. But would you call 2020 the year of Anya Taylor-Joy? I think it was a great year for her, but I wouldn't call it her year per se. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by... uh, Abhinav and Abhinav writes, it was announced that David Leach will be directing Bullet Train on a contained action uh, thriller about five assassins with conflicting motives on a bullet train. It was already I was already excited for it, but I but it got a whole lot better and bigger when the Brad Pitt joined it. Uh, That, too, is going to be his first role after his Oscar win, followed by other great names like another Oscar winner, Lady Gaga, Zazie Beetz. I love her. Aaron Taylor. Love him. Uh, Michael Shannon. Love him. Logan Learman. Love him. Joey King and more. What do you think about the project with this stellar cast? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yeah, listen, I got to tell you, I love everything about this. There's nothing I don't like about the sound of this. Like, first of all, look, I just believe when Brad Pitt, who has entered into an area of his career now, like Brad Pitt is 56, going to be 57 pretty soon, right? He's now really, he's already, like he's going to be known as one of the the hunkiest Hollywood stars of all time. He's (laughs) going to be known as a great actor already. All that's already set. Brad Pitt is now entering, I believe, and maybe a couple years ago, he decided he was going to enter into that phase of his career where he is now focused on legacy. I think now he's thinking about legacy. Getting an Oscar was a big thing towards that. That was a huge step for that. So for Brad Pitt coming off an Oscar, to me, it says something when a guy in that situation coming off an Oscar win picks his next project and picks another project. That says something to me. It's not definitive. It can still turn out to be a big ball of crap. Absolutely. No doubt. But Five assassins, conflicting interests in a closed environment, and it's an action thriller, and you're going to have it directed by David Leach. That, to me, is exciting. Because, look, when we hear David's name, we obviously think John Wick, okay? And for massively understandable reasons. But he went on to make Atomic Blonde with the aforementioned Charlize Theron, which, think what you want about that movie. I personally liked it quite a bit. The action is stellar. It's absolutely fantastic action. Like that that old building hallway fight scene, one of the best action scenes ever. He then went on to do Deadpool 2. Very, very difficult job to follow up on the first Deadpool. I think he did a great job with Deadpool 2. Then he went on and did Hobbs and Shaw, right? And a lot of question marks surrounding that movie, and I think he delivered. I really think he delivered quite well with that. So when I look at that resume, and then you add somebody like Brad Pitt, Lady Gaga getting in on it now because uh, lady it's just been announced that Lady Gaga is, is in talks to sign up to be in it with him, who I got to say floored me and shocked me with how good of a job she really did uh, in A Star is Born. I was expecting very little from her other than great singing in it. She gave a really great performance in it, too. So I, I'm curious about that. Michael Shannon Zod in there. Logan Lerman, who, by the way, I think Logan Lerman is money. I I have liked this kid ever since he was Percy Jackson. 
And I, 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 you go back and watch some of my old stuff. I remember, I thought there was something special about this kid. I've had a chance to meet him on a couple of occasions. I think he's something special and I love hearing him popping up in something like this. The cast sounds great. It's based on a Japanese novel, which sounds great. I'm really very big on the director. So look, could this movie end up being a big bag of crap? Absolutely it could. But for now, if I had to venture a guess just based on what limited information is available to me right now, Rob, I got to tell you, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you. I'm actually really stoked about this particular thing. I think this has got a lot of pluses. Anyway, Rob, you look at this whole rundown of Bullet Train. What's your impressions? Well, I got to tell you, you know, I, I said to you, like, Bullet Train, like, come on. Really? It sounded to me like there was an old TV show uh, called Super Train that, that didn't <laughs> last very long. But I'm like, but actually, Bullet Train is based on a, a, a best-selling Japanese novel, and it sounds to me like basically the plot is five assassins are all on the same train vying for a suitcase of money, and there's revenge involved and murder and a psychopath. And it sounds to me, having not read the book, that it's um, uh, going to be a tense, almost a real-time thriller. Like, you know, they're on a two-hour train ride from one city in Japan to another. So a little 24 in there, a little yeah, bit of 24. And, and, and I think from that perspective, the movie really interests me because I love stories like that. I love, you know, ticking clock stories that the movie can only, it can only be as long as it is because they, the train gets to the station. And <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't know. I've, whether it was Tony Scott's movie Unstoppable or Andre Konchalovsky's Runaway Train or Burt uh, Lancaster in the, in Frankenheimer's The Train, I kind of have a th or Murder on the Orient Express. I have a thing, you know. I have a thing for action figures that come with chairs, but I also have a thing for train movies, dude. <laughs> I love you know from Russia with Love, the fight with Red, Red Grant on the train. Give me a good train gun battle. I am in. Throw mama from it. Do do whatever. Throw mama from the train. <laughs> I love stories about trains. I haven't taken enough trains in my life. By the way, can I just say Unstoppable doesn't get enough love? That I, Denzel, it does not. I really like that movie. That movie's really, really good. Unstoppable, you know, the Denzel, Tony Scott uh, team up, whether it was Man on Fire, whether it was Deja Vu, which I like, I mean – I, I I wish you know that's one of the great tragedies of the modern film lover's life is that there's never going to be another Tony Scott yeah. Denzel team up. Uh, it's true. Question is for you guys: What do you think about the sounds of this movie? I think it sounds terrific. I certainly think it has a lot of potential. Maybe there's a lot of downside coming with it too. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to our third main topic today. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by uh, Shawnee Glocken, who writes, did you see the news? Really should put uh, quotation marks around the word news. But did you see the <laughs> news that the Obi-Wan limited series on Disney Plus is looking to cast a key co-lead to Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan. Among those in contention is Aladdin and Power Rangers star Naomi Scott. Would you like to see Naomi Scott in this series? And who could be this character? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And for those of you who may not have seen it yet, uh, there is a story that started running around sometime in the middle of the night or something like that and has got a bunch of traction to the point that a number of higher profile outlets 
have been running the story. And the story basically is that Obi-Wan is circling, uh, is getting, looking at the Aladdin star, Naomi Scott, to be a co-lead in the film. And I should point out, look, whenever you see a story like this, I always tell people, follow the source, you know, like this, for instance, is on CBR.com. This is on comic book resources, which is a a significant outlet. Uh, But, you know, follow the source. Is CBR actually the one breaking this story? And if you read through CBR, you realize they're not the one breaking it. And the same is true of a number of the other sites that I saw running with this story. They are all quoting the same place. And it's this uh, smaller website called the Illuminerdy is where it's coming from. To me, so it's important to note, this is not coming from Hollywood Reporter. This is not coming from Variety. This is not coming from Deadline. This is not coming from Entertainment Weekly. This is coming, and it's not even coming from some of the bigger sites like Cinema Blend or Coming Soon or Joe Blow. This is coming from a, a small site, Illuminator, who claims that they have this source. So what that means to me is I believe, honestly, there is very small likelihood that this is actually real. Now, let me clarify something, though. Me saying that I don't believe this story is real does not mean that I'm at all that I'm saying that I believe this other website, Illuminati, is lying. Not at all. I I believe I'll take them at face value. I believe that if they say they got told that, I believe they got told that. I just question the veracity of what it is they were told. That's, that's all I'm saying. So please don't take this when I say I don't buy the story, really, as me saying that Illuminati, therefore, has no credibility. No, no, not at all. I believe they were probably told that. I just have no reason to believe or trust in the veracity of the people that, that are telling them things. 99 times out of 100, when stories like this drop and it, and it you know, it, uh, it makes claims like that and you follow the source and it doesn't really come from a reputable place, I always tell people, take it with a giant grain of salt. That being said, that being said, you know, 99 times out of 100, these things end up being completely not true. But every once in a while, it does. And let's face it here. Mandalorian has a co-lead. It's weird to think about it. But Baby Yoda, despite the fact that it's a puppet, it really is the co-lead of the of the show. That 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 is... Definitely a Mandalorian and Baby Yoda show. It's a co-lead. For us to think or believe that we're going to get an Obi-Wan series that actually has a co-lead in it, that's very believable. I would be surprised if there wasn't a co-lead character, if there wasn't a sidekick character at some point and in some way. So that's not that far-fetched. And... It's a 50-50 coin flip if that would co-lead would be a male or female. So coin flip there. So not a bad chance at that. I'll say this. Let's just talk in hypotheticals here for a second, Rob. Let's talk just hypothetically speaking. Let's, for the sake of discussion, go with this for a moment and say, well, what would I think of a Naomi Scott in a series like this? And I got to admit, it raises some interesting possibilities. Let's put this in context, okay? This comes to us from Comic Book Resources writes, Obi-Wan Kenobi will take place in between the events of Star Wars, Revenge of the the Sith, and Star Wars A New Hope. It focuses on the life of Obi-Wan Kenobi, who has taken up residence on Tatooine to protect Luke Skywalker. Ewan McGregor will reprise his role as Obi-Wan from the Star Wars prequel trilogy, while Deborah Chow from The Mandalorian, Deborah Chow, 
who directed some of the best stuff in Mandalorian. I'm so excited to see what she does with uh, Obi-Wan. Good Canadian kid, by the way, Deborah Chow. Uh, will direct the series. Joby Harold, who we were just talking about the other day, will write the series in addition to a Space Mountain movie for Disney and a Transformers film to be helmed by uh, Creed II director Stephen Capel Jr. That's why we were talking about him a little bit earlier. So set that as the context. That's our context. So let's run with this for a second. What would I, in theory, think of Naomi Scott taking on a role like that? I'm not going to lie to you. I love it. Now, I'm generally not a ex-actor and ex-role person. I'm not. But if the story out there is Naomi Scott may be taking this role, then, then let's talk about it in those terms. I would, I would adore it. I would think that's great because Naomi Scott has done nothing but impress me in everything she's been in, even when what she's been in has been crap. Even when what she has been in has been crap. She was fantastic, absolutely scene-stealing and fantastic in Aladdin. I loved her in that. I actually really liked her in Power Rangers. You know, a movie that I swore for a year and a half was going to suck balls. And then I saw it, I'm like, that's actually not bad. And Naomi Scott, I actually thought was really, really watchable in it. Even take the terrible Charlie's Angels movie that she just co-starred in. The terrible Charlie's Angels movie. She was delightful every moment she was on screen. So if you were to say to me that somebody like Naomi Scott with her talent set was indeed going to star as a, as a co-lead, Rob, I got to tell you, I'm all for it. I, I would have no problem with that whatsoever because she's great. Again, I have high doubts that this story is even valid. I have high doubts that this is actually going to turn out to be true. But if we're talking in theoreticals, what would I think? I'd be all for it. Rob, what do you think about this? Well, you know, I mean, I, I, the stories are going to come out about the problems that um, Disney has been having with Baby Yoda. I mean, apparently the success has gone to his head. He's been partying. Uh, he's been doing a lot of cocaine. And apparently there's some ladies of the evening he's he's involved with. Uh, it's going to come out. I mean, you, you, it's just bad. And his people are driving a hard bargain. So I think what Disney needs is a co-lead that's going to sort of bring back the family audience when it's revealed at what a what a cad baby Yoda has become. What a cokehead baby Yoda's become. Yeah, I mean, it's just a terrible, terrible. I, I mean, I hate seeing young actors throw their careers away so soon. <laughs> but no, I, I think the idea, by the way, for those of you, I made that up. Baby Yoda's <laughs> not on cocaine. He doesn't have a problem with hookers. Really, he's, he's a puppet. It's fine. Uh, but in terms of this kind of thing, you know, when an actor or an actress gets this kind of a high profile role and it's legit, their people are are everybody would want everybody that represents her would want the world to know that she's going to be in the show. When Disney is is ready to announce something like this, there'll be a proper announcement in the trades. Um, sure, there are rumors, as we all learned from Robert Altman's The Player, when Fred Ward, who was running for running the studio security said the rumors are always true or maybe no it wasn't fred ward who said that maybe it was but we'll we'll know for a fact and reporting on these things before they're announced always seems to me to be a little counterproductive because this is a very high profile project and it makes sense though i mean obviously like you said aladdin she was fantastic and who doesn't who doesn't like her i think she'd make a great sidekick to obi-wan however that's going to be but even the wording when they talk about the the it's about 
It's about uh, Obi-Wan protecting Luke. I would imagine the stories before uh, Obi-Wan takes up residence on Tatooine, that's probably where the story ends. But I think when this is official, we'll hear about it. You know, and and I, all the speculation, how many times do we read these speculative articles that never come to pass? And I think we'll know soon enough because the show's supposed to go into production, what, in March? Yeah, so like I, at least at least close to that. But I mean, that's the very reason why a lot of times people write to me and say, John, why aren't you talking about this story or this story, or this story? And the reason we don't talk about most of them is because it, they're 99 out of 100. It, it's it's probably nothing. It's coming from a, a unproven source. I'm not going to say unreliable. I'll say unproven source and all that kind of stuff. This one was a little bit different because I started seeing larger outlets running the story. Right. So I thought we better probably at least address this and and put that caveat on everything. Look, I said, this is out there. Would it be great? Sure. We think it would be great. Naomi Scott's yeah. dynamic and awesome. I, I, I love her. But the it's likely that this isn't true. It's possible. No, but it's I, I think that, you know, we're, we're on this show. You've pretty much kept it above board. We, we try and talk about things that have been officially reported, whether it's in Deadline or Holly Reporter or Variety, things that, that are, are true. You know, we don't, we don't really speculate on this show that much. Right. Which that's that's why even, Rob, when I've been, when I've been told things and they've turned out most of the time to be true when i've been told things even i say listen nobody should else should run with a story based on what i say because i'm not the hollywood reporter i'm not deadline i'm not any of that stuff don't nobody else should run with this as a story if i say hey listen i got informed that this is going to happen and blah blah nobody else should run with that as a story because i am not a legit trade i am uh, some nobody asshole youtuber i mean and that should be what it is that's why i don't want to make it sound like i'm trying to cast any shade on this illuminati site whatsoever i believe that they got told and they're telling their readers. It's just that it becomes a little bit of an issue when other higher profile outlets run with it. That's when I think, okay, well, maybe we should address this and, and talk about it a little bit, but we'll see. I think it would be great if it were true, but I just don't have a lot of confidence that it is. Question is, guys, regardless about the veracity of it, what would you theoretically think of a Naomi Scott joining on and kind of being the second uh, second build person in an Obi-Wan series. I personally have no problem with it. I think she's a terrific actress, and I always say start with talented people. I think she fits the bill. What do you guys think? Jump into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down and out of the way, we're now going to move on and start taking your guys' live questions. Once again, the way you get a live comment or question in on the show is simply use the tip link that's in the top of the description of this video or enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show. And of course, you'll be supporting the show at the same time. With that down, let's get over and start taking your live questions, guys. The first one up comes to us from Chris, who writes, Hey, John, love your show. Thank you so much, Chris. One of the reasons the Mandalorian tells the story uh, never bothered the way Mandalorian tells their story never bothered me is because I watched an anime show called Cowboy Bebop. We've been talking a bunch about Cowboy Bebop lately, which is about bounty hunters in space. Uh, and in the show, it's very episodic uh, because the journey is the story. Rob, that's I've been saying that a lot lately about the journey is the story, especially when you talk about a show like Mandalorian. It's all about that episodic thing. And each individual piece of the story starts to put together a picture of what the overall story is. I know you're a big Cowboy Bebop fan. How do you see that fitting into that paradigm? I am. And I think that's actually a really great uh, comparison. I, I can, you know, they're making a live action Cowboy Bebop show with, with John Cho as Spike. 
Right. Um, and I, I love Cowboy Bebop. I, would it surprise you to know that I have the whole series on Blu-ray? Not um, in the least. <laughs> <laughs> I even have a die-cast uh, Cowboy Bebop ship, spaceship. Um, I, I'm a fan, and I think that's exactly the kind of comparison that is – it's very apt. And I, you know, I think what's really interesting is that we're so used to serialized television now. And I think one of the things that I enjoy about The Mandalorian is – you can you can tune in whether you've seen every episode or not. You can you can jump in and watch thirty minutes and be entertained. You're in and out, and you feel like like that episode with Bo Katan. I'm like, that's some great TV. You know, I still don't know how they did the ship at sea stuff. That was amazing. If that was if that was, and I I think like with Cowboy Bebop, we're we're so used to like being involved and in binging ten episode stories. Isn't it nice to sit down and watch an entire story in thirty or forty minutes? And and I think that's what People want it to be something that it, it isn't, and they they forget. I mean, it's like shows we used to watch 30 years ago. Yeah, you know, one of the genius things about it, too, is not that every show needs to be like this. Not, I'm not suggesting that at all. But one of the great things about the way John Favreau has laid out Mandalorian in each of his episodes is anybody. Like, if I had a friend come over on uh, Thursday night when, and when Mandalorian comes on at midnight and we're hanging out, and they've never seen Mandalorian, anybody – can watch any episode at any point and not feel like they have no idea what's going on, you know? And I think any because you do that, I think any episode can get somebody hooked and go, I got to go back and watch season one of this. Yeah. And, and I think that's really one of the, the strong points of that. So that's an interesting thing. I, I agree with you, Rob. That's a really good comparison. All right, next up. We've got James L.H. who writes, hey, John, here's an opportunity to plug Patreon and open mic, <laughs> LOL. But seriously, I just wanted to thank you for using my question. Should Robert Downey Jr. return to the MCU to headline the open mic podcast on Sunday? I was quite pleased with that. Well, thanks so much. So for those of you who know what James is talking about, and thank you for giving me the opportunity. Um, we do open mic used to be a show we do on the YouTube channel. Open mic is now once or twice a week periodically that we put up exclusively on the podcast feed. So if you're not subscribed to the John campus show podcast feed, you should go and do that because we have some extra stuff on there. And what's unique about open mic now is we take all the topics and questions from our Patreon supporters and our Patreon supporters supply all the topics for the show. And it's great for them. And this week, our, our headline topic was the one that James LH supplied, which was should Robert Downey Jr. return to the MCU? Not will, but should. And I thought that was kind of an interesting question. So thanks for giving me that opportunity to plug both our Patreon and our open mic podcast. Thanks for that, James. All right, next up, B. Wayne New York writes, Hey, John and Rob. So with Wonder Woman streaming on Christmas on HBO Max and Disney's big budget movies going to streaming as well, what do you think happens to the future of Hollywood? Will studios still crank out the 150 to $200 million movies if they go in all streaming? No, they won't. They won't. I mean, what the way I kind of described it, Robin, tell me what you think about this. The way I see it happening is this. I did this big breakdown last week about why Disney, like a 40-minute breakdown about why Disney is going all in on streaming. In it, we talked about how library is actually more important than original content. We talked about how 2018, 2019, 80% of Netflix's streaming was curated content, not their original content. And only 20% was original. And so what I believe we're going to see is like something like Disney will maybe once or twice a year, once they go all in completely, and this could take two years, three years, I don't know. But once Disney goes all in on Disney Plus, you will see Disney 
two, maybe one to three times a year, we'll put out a truly big tentpole, must-see, blockbuster, premium film. But that'll be a far cry from like 2019 where they had like eight or nine. You know, it's going to be a far cry because they know their library is more important than their originals. Disney has gotten 73 million subscribers in one year without original content, without premium, without premium original content. They've had a lot of filler content, a lot of, you know, middle of the road content. They stuff that in there, becomes a part of their library, but they got that far without it. So, uh, yeah, I, I see a, a drastic reduction moving forward in the big, high profile premium tentpole movies that we've become accustomed to getting every year. I'm going to see that taking a massive decline. They'll still be there, I think, but a big decline. Rob, what do you think? Well, you know, the, the economics just aren't there. Uh, just to to justify spending two hundred million dollars on a movie, you have to know that you're chasing after a billion dollars in box office, and not only are you you chasing after it. In the case of like the MCU, if you average out the 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 earnings as we know of all of those movies, the twenty three movies of the Infinity Saga together, it averages out that they all made a billion dollars. So that's not out of the realm of possibility. But nowadays, when you if you don't have theatrical you're never ever going to make that there that billion dollars is off the table so the entire epic uh, economic model of how these movies earn out changes and it's all based on subscribers and they'll know that okay your subscribers uh the, the whatever you pay for a subscription if you start thinking about it like based on how much you watch like let's say you watch 20 movies in a year on your favorite streaming service. That means you could actually calculate what percentage of the money you paid for that service would have gone to the movies that you watched, you know, and you're not going to ever, no one's ever going to say we got a billion dollars worth of subscribers based on one movie. Now it could happen, you know, but that means that means that it's not just one movie. You've got all of the programming that streaming services are putting on a year. So that's a lot of money that they have to recoup based on their subscribers. And and it's like everything else. You can only add so there's only so many people on the earth. So even <laughs> if everybody on the earth subscribed to your streaming service, then you're, you've tapped out. There's just no more money to make. So how do you justify the expense of making more and more? So what I think is going to happen, I think the opposite. I think with the new technologies that we're seeing, like stagecraft, I have to say that episode of The Mandalorian, when they were at sea, I I was dumbfounded how, how good that looked. I'm like, they didn't really go out to sea and shoot this, but it certainly looked like they did. The combination of visual effects, stagecraft, uh, practical effects work. I mean, I'm like, man... If they can do this on the water and make you believe, we're going to start seeing a lot of productions completely go the opposite direction. They don't have to be gigantic anymore. You can scale them back and you can spend a lot less money but get the same amount of bang for your buck that you get for 200 million bucks. All right, let's move on here. Next one up comes to us from an anonymous viewer who writes, what are your thoughts on the situation with Star Wars author Alan Dean Foster and Disney? I understand that difficult decisions need to be made in business, but do you think this is going too far? All right, for those of you who don't know what he's talking about, um, this uh, dude named Alan Dean Foster, who George Lucas approached a lot of years ago to write the novelization of Star Wars, he's supposed to get royalties on his book. Completely reasonable. 
But apparently, ever since Disney took over Lucasfilm, they have not paid him any royalties on his book. Now, Disney, now I don't know, I have not talked to anybody at Disney, so I don't know what their rationale is. Disney is saying that, yeah, they bought the rights to the book, but they didn't buy the obligation to pay the author royalties. (laughs) Now, I, that's not what Disney is saying. That's what somebody else is saying Disney said, right? Um, Let's be very, very clear about this. All right. When let's, let me put this as I always do in sports terminology. Mm. Tom Brady signs a $10 million a year deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I, I don't know what the amount of his deal is. Just to be clear. I'm just making up a number signs a $10 million a year deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That is for it's guaranteed. And it's for four years. Halfway through this season, somebody comes along and buys the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from the existing owner in law. When you buy something, you are also buying all the liabilities that come along with it. You are getting all of its assets, but you are also buying all of the liabilities. Rob, as an example, you know, Ann and I are in the middle of buying a house. Now I used to work in real estate law and I can tell you this, let's say I'm buying a house off you, Rob. And you owe a contractor $15,000 for work done on your roof, right? That contractor has what's called in legal terms, a lien on that house. He's, he's got a 15,000, he's owed $15,000 for work on that house. If I buy that house from you, guess what? I'm on the hook for that $15,000 because when I buy that house, I am buying all the assets of the house and I'm buying all the liabilities of the house. The argument that Disney is a, again, Disney might have a completely different argument, but what's being said is like, no, 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 we just bought the rights to it. We didn't buy the obligation to pay. That's not true at all. That will not hold up in court. That will get, Disney will get spanked. If this actually gets to court, Disney will get thoroughly spanked and they will get laughed out of the court. And then the judge is going to make Disney pay this guy um, punitive damages as well on top of what he's owed. The only out that Disney has here, Rob, the only potential out that Disney has here to not pay this guy is if, and I don't know that this is the case, but if when Disney bought Lucasfilm from George Lucas, that they specifically negotiated in the contract that George Lucas would still hold on and be responsible for any royalty liabilities that come along from previous works. If Disney negotiated that, that George Lucas would be responsible for all those moving forward, that's a potential out. But I can't imagine for one second that George Lucas's lawyers would have agreed to let him assume those responsibilities. So at the end of the day, this guy's going to have to get paid. Rob, I know you're very big in the book world and you stay fairly connected to all this stuff. What are your thoughts on this situation? Well, I I mean, look, whether it's right or wrong, I'll bet you that this is not Disney. Uh, I think this is an oversight. I honestly think because like you just That's said. That's my first thought too. That is also yeah, my first thought. I, I mean, you know, Disney has bought Fox and I am not, you know, I hate it when I say stuff like this because people are like, oh, you're just a shill for the Disney empire. Uh, but I'm not. I mean, look, you, you buy Fox. They're still trying to figure out what they're doing with the Fox library of movies. 
whether or not there's going to be a, a Disney Plus 18 or whatever, uh, whether they're going to have R-rated movies on Disney Plus with a password protected. You're, you're talking now about an author who wrote novelizations that are over – I mean the Star Wars novelization came out in 1976. It came out before the movie opened, way before the movie opened. And the – you know, they'll get to it. And I'm sure that Disney just hadn't – of all the things that they're dealing with, this with the Fox merger and the money and COVID and their parks closing down, I just don't think they've got they've got down to the point where they're dealing with the book um, – uh, the, the money owed to an author for books that were written in the 70s. I just think it was – it's down on the list of priorities. Now, I'm not defending them. They owe the money. They can't say that we don't – we, we don't owe you the money. Legally, as I always say, John, it ain't, it ain't show friends, it's show business, and you don't get what you deserve, you get what you negotiate. Now, this is, I'm sure, for Alan Dean Foster, who's an author, he lives off the money he makes off his royalties. And when he stops getting his royalty checks for books he knows are still in print, and I love Alan Dean Foster, I've been a fan of his since the 70s, he's got to get paid. It's not like authors usually, you know, not everyone's Tom Clancy or James Patterson, Alan Dean Foster is probably not swimming in the bucks. And when any uh, royalty check doesn't come, it's like, hey, yo, bro, what's up? I mean, I got to get paid. Gee, you're selling my stuff. And uh, where's my money? And I, I I, don't blame him. But I don't think that it's Disney being nefarious or saying we're not going to pay you. Because people in entertainment, studios know they have to pay people. You know, they don't want to wind up in lawsuits. It's, it's cut and dried. If you have a contract – the contract states right there what somebody's owed. And like you put it, when you buy something, you also buy the liability. You yeah. know, in Hollywood, if you say develop a script and somebody buys uh, or, or, or a studio will bring you in and they're going to adapt, say, a comic book series. I know this because it happened to me. I self-published a comic book series. A film company was developing it. And they spent a lot of their money uh, on this on this developing the th it didn't actually happen but if i were to resell that comic series to another company i would have to make whole the first company right they're, because they're, that's they're negotiated that yeah they have to get their money back i mean i might be able to get it for pennies on the dollar but they still have to be remunerated in some way all right so uh, great, great topic to bring up there, man. All right, next up, uh, Payne141 writes, I love how in Star Wars, the planets are like realms in fantasy, like how you can have ice realms, hellish realms, swamp realms, etc. What type of planet is your favorite to see when you say uh, when you say you're Canadian, when you say sorry, your Canadian accent shows? There you go. Ann and I were just arguing on air about whether or not I have a strong accent or not. Um, I... Uh, like I have no, I have no favorite environment. It, 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 you can tell whatever story, whatever thing. One of the funny things about Star Wars is that every planet has only one um, uh, environment, has only one, uh, you know, uh, weather system. It's either an ice planet or a desert planet or a or a lava planet or a forest planet. It's all that. The most diverse and easily workable is forest planets because then you can just go and shoot in Vancouver and everything's fine. Uh, but I don't have a particular favorite uh, environment per se. Depends on what the story is. Gad writes, any chance we see Luke Skywalker in the Mandalorian? I feel this would have been a better choice than Ahsoka and made more sense. Um, yeah, 
it absolutely would have been a better choice than Ahsoka Tano, and it absolutely would have made far more sense if you really want to tie this into Star Wars. But hey, Dave Filoni's working on it, so he's going to force in his Ahsoka Tano character. Uh, it is what it is. But I don't know. I no. I'm 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 guessing we're not going to see Mark Hamill in Mandalorian. Not at this point, because he would have to be, you know, 25 years younger. And I don't think they want to do, you know, the whole Irishman de-aging thing on Mark Hamill. And I don't think he wants to to go through that either at this point. So I'm going to guess it's a very I'm not going to say it's impossible. I give it like a five percent chance we see Luke Skywalker in Mandalorian. Rob, what about you? Uh, you know what? Uh, <laughs> watching Star Trek, they'll bring back. Pike, they'll bring back Spock, they'll bring back Sarek, you know, who knows? So it wouldn't surprise me. Although I do think that one of the interesting things about The Mandalorian is they have created a bunch of new characters that's unique to that show. And while Ahsoka Tano is a favorite with Cara Dune and and and, and The Mandalorian himself and Baby Yoda and everyone else, they're creating their own identity. And I think by bringing in heavy hitters like Luke, they kind of muddy the waters you know, a little bit. Um, but maybe, I mean, if, if, if it calls, I mean, they certainly they go to Tatooine a lot, you know, you never know. I don't know what Luke's doing now that the empire's fallen, but you'd have to recast Luke Skywalker. And that would be kind of weird. I will say this against my own point. I'm going to argue against my own point here just for a second. The one way in which an Ahsoka Tano would make more, like if you have to have either Luke Skywalker or Ahsoka Tano. If you have to have either one of them, and I don't think you do, but if you did, the reason Ahsoka Tano makes more sense is because if you're going to bring in the storyline with a Bo-Katan and Mandalore and all that kind of stuff, in the canon, Bo-Katan has connections to uh, Ahsoka Tano and all that kind of stuff, right? So there are already pre-existing connections there. So to argue against my own point, there is a way there that actually having Ahsoka makes more sense than having a Luke Skywalker. So mm. just want to throw that out there. Uh, all right, next up. Uh, balls, which is something Bobby always used to say, balls. Anyway, writes, the cover of Carry On Wayward Son heard in Supernatural Finale is by uh, Neoni, a group of two sisters. They released it two years ago and hoped in and hopped, hoped in the comments, hopped in the comments of the music video that it would get on the show. Needless to say, they are freaking out right now. So, of course, for those of you who don't know, the, the season finale of all the seasons of Supernatural, they do the previously on supernatural part by playing and they only do this during the season finales they play carry on my wayward son by kansas it's one of the best traditions in all of television i love it and of course they did it for the series finale recently but in the show they play like they do they play the kansas version at the beginning of the show but during the episode they also play another version of carry on which was by those sisters and you're right if they dropped in a comment says i really hope they use our song someday and they do pretty awesome again i think that using carry on weird son is one of the best traditions in television frederico della casa writes hey john what do you think of the rumor that amber heard is in the mcu I, it's it's a bs rumor it's completely bs anyway by the way that rumor was started on we got this covered which of course everything that comes out of we got this covered is bullshit so don't even bother anyway i don't think marvel will put her uh, will put her in a problematic position if she's not already one thing uh, one thing is defend a position already taken one thing is diving in shark infested waters yeah i you're not going to see no amber heard's not going over to the mcu a a amber heard is in the dceu and uh, apologies to anybody who thinks they want her out 
The reality is there are two things. Warner Brothers is standing behind her and Zack Snyder is standing behind her. Uh, Zack Snyder just put out and, you know, Zack Snyder, it's not it's very, very rare that a director will do their own trailer. Zack Snyder did his trailer for Justice League, uh, the upcoming Justice League miniseries. Zack Snyder not only is continuing to have Amber Heard come in to do reshooting for it. He actually featured Amber Heard in his trailer that he cut as well. So Warner Brothers is standing behind her. Zack Snyder is standing behind her. So she's in the DCEU. You're not going to see her in the MCU. That's just a bunch of BS. She's in the DCU now, and she will probably continue to be in the DCEU. Rob, did you hear anybody else talk about that rumor of her, her possibly going to the MCU? Yeah, but I mean, it's like, it's such a weird... It's, look, actors do things all the time with different studios. I mean, it just... If if someone's making a comic book movie and, and Amber Heard wants to go star in their film, whoever, whoever's making it, fine. But I just don't think that she's going to just jump ship aquaman was a very successful movie <laughs> you know so yeah. i don't think she's gonna want to muddy those waters when you're in a billion dollar film you know yeah, yeah. and by the way i i am nearly I, I am neither getting behind nor being against amber heard i'm just i'm just laying out the, the way it is warner brothers is clearly standing behind her zach snyder is clearly standing behind her so i i really don't see her going anywhere so that's that all right next up uh, we have uh, Andrew Jones writes, happy 57th uh, birthday to Doctor Who from 1963 to 2020. Uh, I had a little bit of a gap in there, of course. Rob, I can't remember. Are, are you a uh, Ian? Do you watch Doctor Who? I'm not. I don't really watch the show myself, but are, do you watch Doctor Who? I like Doctor Who. I wouldn't say that I'm a massive Doctor Who Whovian. I, I, I don't know the lore, but I've seen most of the iterations. I know I've seen all the iterations of the Doctor. Um, but, and I grew up watching Tom Baker's doctor, but yeah, I like doctor who, you know, I, I think one of my favorite things in the world was the five episode, uh, third season of Torchwood children of earth that I think is one of the finest five hours of televised science fiction ever. Yeah. You've and, talked about uh, that a bunch. It's so good, but yeah, I mean, I like doctor who, and I know that they just started working on the next Jody Whittaker's third season. So yeah. Um, just as I, I think I've mentioned this before, uh, one of Anne's cousins, got married. And so I was expecting this big traditional Filipino kind of wedding. So I had my barone on and everything and we go and aunt's cousin and his fiance are like total doctor who freaks. And they had a doctor who themed wedding. They had little Tardises on the, on the tables and all this kind of stuff. So it was quite an experience. All right, next up. We've got an anonymous viewer writes, I can't understand how Shuri can be Black Panther. She can't. Uh, she cannot win a fight under the trials with no power. She's never came off as a fighter in the movies. See, that's the thing uh, that a lot of people keep overlooking is the fact that, number one, Shuri has no interest in the throne. Number two, she has no, showed no uh, proclivity to have to being good at hand to hand combat. She's in the lab. That's where that's her superpower. Shuri's superpower is she is the smartest person in the MCU. I didn't say that. Kevin Feige said that. She is the smartest person in the MCU. For her to become the new Black Panther, to become the, the monarch of Wakanda means anybody, any other person in royal lineage, including M'Baku, can challenge her in combat. She ain't going to beat M'Baku. And by the way, she has no experience leading a nation. Umbaku has been leading the Jambari tribe his whole life. 
to be completely self-sustainable. I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, no, the, the Shuri thing is Black Panther. It just, it makes no sense within the logic of the MCU. It just doesn't make sense to me. All right. Uh, Car Carbone 14 writes, one of five. Hey, John, this is my first time contributing to the show. Well, thank you for writing in Carbone. Uh, I'm one of the believers that Disney will, will keep putting out good movies on Disney+. Plus. Contrary to Netflix, Disney does have many IPs and massive experience when it comes to making movies. They absolutely do. As far as I know, Netflix has never made a good movie themselves. They just buy them from somebody else. A lot of distributors do that, though. And uh, if you, as a studio, make good movie, you are first going to try to put it in theaters instead of selling it to Netflix. While a lack of good original movies on Disney Plus is certainly frustrating, it's not like they were expecting theaters to be closed. It makes no sense to make a big, good movie like Black Widow and put it directly on Disney Plus when you can first get millions in theaters. This explains why only crappy movies go directly to streaming. But if the theater industry ends up dying, I think Disney will actually dedicate all their movie resources to Disney Plus. You said Disney Plus could, could uh, dedicate $10 billion to original content. Uh, if you combine the budgets of all the big 2019 Disney movies, it's just a little over two billion. Let's say four billion with marketing. Uh, they sure have a viable model uh, to be successful while retaining their quality and quantity if they are willing. Now you got to remember, though, when I say they could spend upwards of ten billion dollars a year, and that's just a projection on my part, that would have to include the big movies. And all the 50 to 60 pieces of smaller content that they would make throughout the year. It's much like Netflix. Netflix has a $7 billion spent, I believe, last year, $7 billion in original programming. But a lot of that, like a big chunk of that was towards the smaller filler straight to library kind of stuff as well. On top of the $14.7 billion they paid in licensing fees. Licensing fees, Rob, that, by the way, Disney Plus does not have to pay because they put all original content in there. You have to understand, though, by the, the paradigm you're talking about, Carbone, and Rob, tell me what you think about this, is why would Disney take a big movie and sell to Netflix? They're not going to sell to Netflix. They have their own built-in money-generating machine called Disney Plus that they have, in Bob Chapek's words, accelerated their plan. The COVID thing has made them accelerate their plans. Something that was going to take three or four years, they're suddenly doing right now. They're going all in on Disney+. Plus. They just did that massive reorg, Rob. They did The company, Disney just did this massive reorganization that Bob Chapek said the whole purpose of this reorganization was to reemphasize our new top priority, which is direct-to-consumer content, i.e. Disney+, Plus, Hulu, ESPN+. It's where it's all going. So why would Disney make a big movie and sell it to Netflix? They won't. They're going to make a big movie and they're going to put it on their own service. That is projected to be making them $7 billion a year in profit by the end of 2023. Now, listen, I still believe there's a chance that they put out big films in theaters for a while longer. I certainly hope they do. And I hope Disney Plus collapses and everybody keeps the theatrical model. That's what I hope. But I'm very dubious of it. Rob, what are your thoughts on that whole thing? Well, I, 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 I'm right there with you. It's, it's, you know, what we're going to start seeing, I think, in this streaming world is it's, it's every man for themselves. I mean, normally you're not going to eventually see anybody licensing anybody else's content. No one's going to be making movies for other streaming services or anything like that. I mean, eventually it's going to be all, all proprietary. At least that's 
I, I mean, maybe catalog stuff you might be able to make deals for, but I don't think so. Which is why we've seen uh, Netflix, to your point, that's why we've seen Netflix in the last 48, uh, 24 months have really put a lot more money into originals because they see the way things are going, that they're spending $14.7 billion a year just on licensing crap. They've got to have their own original stuff in there. So I, I think that speaks to your point, Rob. All right. Uh, thanks a lot for saying that in, Carbo. All right. Next up. We go to the Black Knight who writes, last week when you said 4DX would not have affected the box office positively for The Martian or Jurassic World, it had me thinking, when you pay extra for IMAX or 4DX, where does that extra cash go? Does that affect the box office? Oh, it absolutely affects the box office. By the way, I didn't say 4DX would have zero impact. I said it would have minimal impact. It would have minimal impact. Just like you know, uh, IMAX and all that kind of stuff. AMC Prime, that has a marginal impact. It does. It has some impact. It goes towards the overall thing, but it doesn't make a night and day difference. You know, when even when you look at Avatar, when you really look at Avatar and look at what percentage of people actually saw it in IMAX, it's not that actual big of a, of a percentage. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I remember a few, but maybe a year or two ago, we did a story on that and we looked at those percentages. It's actually relatively small. So does it have an impact when it's more expensive tickets? Certainly. Does it have a significant impact? No, it's a marginal one. It's a marginal one, but, but one nonetheless. All right. R. Lee writes. Hey, John, had to do a double take this weekend as Mel Gibson, while doing a press interview for his movie Fat Man, the subject of his Lethal Weapon movies came up. When asked if a fifth one is coming, he stated it's absolutely happening. Truth or grain of salt? Oh, Rob, that's absolutely a grain of salt situation. I mean, they've been he's they've literally been talking about getting a Lethal Weapon 5 going for years. And is it Richard Donner? I think it's yeah. Richard Donner. But yeah, Richard Donner himself is behind trying to get one developed. And that's certainly happening. But does it get to a point that some studio actually says, yes, we're going to greenlight this. We'll put up $35 million to greenlight this. I am dubious. Is Donner working on it? Does Gibson want it? Absolutely. But will it actually get greenlit and actually hit a, you know, come to fruition? I'm dubious about that. Rob, what do you think are the chances we actually get to see a Lethal Weapon 5 at this point? Well, Richard Donner's 90. <laughs> He's 90 years old, and the last movie he made was 15 years ago or 14 years ago. He made, what, 16 blocks? And uh, and I, I how, how old are Riggs and Murtaugh? I think they really are getting too old for that. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I can't – I mean maybe it will happen, but sometimes you just got to hang up your spurs. It's I, – I don't know. Maybe Riggs and Murtaugh are consulting, and there's a bunch of new cops running around, but – I just can't imagine doing a, a Lethal Weapon film without Riggs and Murtaugh front and center, and I would think they would both be retired by now. <laughs> I mean, the first Lethal Weapon came out in 1987, and you know they were they were what their mid 30s or something. Murtaugh was supposed to be what pushing 50, getting ready to so, retire. So now he's 83. You know, <laughs> he's coming back. Roger Murtaugh coming back at 83 with a big gun on his hip. You know, who knows? But I can't see it happening. It's expendables. It's lethal weapon expendables. Kind of. I, I mean, I think it's possible. But I, again, I just don't see any studio actually green lighting and putting up the money for it. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Shane Bennis writes. Uh, good afternoon, John and Rob. It's nice to catch a show live again. Do you think we will ever get a theatrical production of Matt Stone and Trey Parker's The Book of Mormon? Also, who do you think Hugh Jackman will play in it? It happens. It's irrelevant. Um, honestly, no. I There was a time, Rob, when I thought they would. 
because it's big hits hit show. My wife loves that show, by the way. She's gone to it, I think, a couple of times. She loves it. But I feel like it's becoming every day that passes is becoming less relevant. Um, and I think every month that passes, every year that passes that it doesn't have, I think there would have been a time for it to happen, but I think that time was a couple of years ago. So I think impossible. No, but I think the chances are low. Rob, will we get a book of Mormon live action movie? Do you think I, you know, I love book of Mormon and I, I, I don't see why not to be honest. I mean, I think that could be awesome. I mean, yeah, but can you can you see it happening? Do you think at this point, like every it's been a number well, of years now? Yeah, I mean, you know, it depends. I, I would have thought in the it, you know we live in that post high school musical era. We haven't seen a lot of big musicals, but you know, after like La La Land did well, and I I think maybe um, you know if, if West Side Story becomes a big hit, even though it was what pushed a year. If there's suddenly a craving, if Hollywood goes through a, a a musical phase, I think that will definitely be one of the the first things tapped. I mean, I I you know I expected more people to talk about Hamilton on Disney Plus, and they did for the first like week or two. But you know, it's it's kind of something that went away. But but I don't know. I mean, I think I think the Book of Mormon could actually make a great movie. I think it could too. I think it could too. All right, Sai writes. Hey, John and Rob, looking to build a home theater, and I was hoping I could get a sound system recommendation from y'all if possible. Thanks for everything you do, gentlemen. Love y'all. Well, listen, I'm going to be honest, Rob. I'm not a home theater expert. I, I am I am anything but a home theater expert. Uh, I like my JBL setup. I got to say that. Hats off to JBL. I mean, they actually sent me this great uh, – Rob, I think they sent one to you too. They sent uh, these great sound bars with these yep. fabulous, fabulous sound and, and giant subwoofers. I mean, and it, you, it sounds you, great. You got to give it up for Connie at the JBL uh, Experiential Engagement Department. Um, she definitely hooked us up. And I have to say, you know, that JBL soundbar, it's a Dolby Atmos soundbar. It's incredible. Uh, it's pretty damn impressive. With the, de with the detachable sides for surround and it's yeah. – uh it's yeah, really it, it's really great. By the way, heads, JBL also supplied me with my headphones. Of course, my previous set of headphones suffered a horrible demise. Uh, but uh, so yeah, big shout out to JBL. We're good folks. Yeah, there. They, they sent me a great pair of headphones too that I use. Uh, the uh, gaming headphones are they're amazing. But you know, it really depends. When somebody asks about that, you really have to know what kind of how big is the room that you're putting it in. If it yeah. surrounds, are you using a projector? Um, you know, I'm a big fan of setting up a real surround sound system with uh, external speakers. And are you going to go Dolby Atmos? Uh, it really depends because, uh, I mean, for me, if I was going to go for a decent sound system, I, I need $10,000. <laughs> you, you know, know <laughs> Rob, you and I have a buddy, Cliff, who's like his sound at his yeah. place. I mean, he's literally, he's got them installed into the ceilings as well and around. Like he just went totally, but I, I don't go that balls out. I don't go that balls out, but yeah, I mean, it really, it really depends. I mean, again, I've, I've been in, in home theater systems that were million dollar home theater systems yeah. that have 56 speakers. So it, I, it would be hard to comment uh, without much knowing more specifics. Best luck on your setup, though, Sai. I hope it turns out really well for you. Satter Shadow Jester writes, John and Rob, hello. Over under 40% with the Black Panther 2 news. The movie involves Namor being a false villain fighting Wakanda due to manipulation from Doctor Doom with Doom being a true villain. I'm going to take way under that. I, I don't think 
Uh, I don't think that was a part of Kevin Feige's plans at this point. I know there's been a lot of rumors, and it's certainly not impossible. I wouldn't say under 10%, but I am going to take under 40%. Rob, what do you think the chances of that scenario are? Over or under 40%? Yeah, probably under. Yeah. Yeah, I got to agree. You know. All right, let's see. Next up, Hitchcock is the GOAT writes, one of two. Why would Disney want to risk adding a password-protected portion of Disney Plus when they already have an existing mature platform in Hulu? Uh, that is where Deadpool, Predator, Alien, etc. should go. I can see uh, parents with multiple kids getting easily distracted and accidentally leaving a password-protected about Disney Plus open. Why take the chance when Hulu is right there? I'll tell you what, Hitchcock, and Rob, I'll tell you this too. I know there have been a lot of stuff going around about Disney 18 Plus. I don't buy it. I'm not saying I know it's not true. I'm not saying that at all. I don't know that that it's not true. I don't. Uh, I'm just saying my initial impression is I don't buy that at all. I don't see Bob Iger greenlighting an 18 plus, you know, going into the grocery store with that curtained off area in the back where you can go through to get the dirty movies. I don't see Bob Iger doing that. I think they wanted full control of Hulu for a reason. The reason Disney wanted Hulu, I believe, was specifically for stuff like this. Um, so, again, I don't know that. I simply don't. Maybe they do do it, but I'm I'm with you, Hitchcock. I, I don't buy it. But, Rob, I don't know. What do you think? What would be the advantages of it, do you think? Well, you know, I, I think that that when it comes to all of the, the material, that, that Disney does have a problem. In terms of their branding, I mean, Disney is synonymous with family, family audiences. And, you know, there's a reason why they sort of disavowed movies like Ruthless People and Down and Out and Beverly Hills that they made. It's they've they've licensed all of that material out to different uh, companies. And I think if Disney is going to move forward, they've got all this stuff. How are they going to use it? You know, it's not like they're going to start a second streaming service or something where they're going to be like, well, because Hulu's not worldwide. So what are they going to do? Sit on assets like Alien, you know, and Die Hard? I mean, they own a ton of stuff. So they've got to figure out a way to monetize this and get it onto their own streaming systems, but not hurt their brand. Like, that's the thing. Disney Plus, you can't have kids hearing swear words in movies and all of a sudden they're repeating the F word or they're saying everything is shit at home. And, you know, like Disney doesn't want to be responsible for that. So they got to figure something out. Yeah, I agree. All right. Next up, uh, IBDBAT writes and tipped in $20. Thank you for supporting the channel on that level, man. I appreciate that. Uh, hey, John, uh, thanks for being there for us and providing a welcome distraction this year and being pure awesomeness. Thanks so much for that, dude. Uh, in the immortal words of the legend that is Tupac, you are appreciated. Bring on the filthy. Oh, dude, thank you so much for that. It's always special when somebody wants to like write in, support the show and just use that platform to say something nice. So Seriously, thank you for that. And guys, you know, Rob and I have talked a lot this year, not a lot on air, but, you know, Rob, you and I have talked a lot this year about the state of things and mm. whatever. And I know you get this as well on your channel. The, you, you know, for us, we've been told a lot by people who watch that during this crappy year, watching the show and whatever has been such a great distraction and all that kind of stuff. And that's great. But you got to know, like Rob and I have also talked about how, man, in this crappy year, 
doing the show has been a great thing for us. It's been very therapeutic for us as well. It's given us something to focus on, on the, the great things we have, these great stories that we have, be them in theaters and the mess of the theaters are in, but or on, on streaming or whatever. It's it's really been great for us as well. And Rob, I, I know you feel the same way about that. Yeah, you know, I mean, one of the things that is sort of a byproduct of doing these YouTube shows is they keep my enthusiasm up for working on projects and keeping my own creative juices flowing. Um, like you said, we've got I, I've received many, many, many emails or, or direct messages from people that have said, thank you for for continuing to do your show, your show and do the show with John. And but also for me, too, it's also therapeutic because connecting with people and having an audience out there that that we know likes watching us and that is is we're providing enjoyment for them. I mean, that's that means the world to me. And, you know, you finished a movie during this time. I mean, you could have been like, I don't want to work on it, but you did. You, you continue to work on it. And I've been working on various projects through this entire time. And, and, uh, it's definitely, these shows keep me going. So thanks to all of our viewers as well. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for sending that in. IB. I really appreciate that, man. All right. Man of Steel rules rights. John, since the Thanos snap and now entering the multiverse of madness, wouldn't it make sense for Michael B. Jordan to actually be Black Panther in another universe? And that's how he becomes Black Panther moving forward. Your thoughts. OK, so here's the thing about that. So the other day, for those of you who missed it, we were talking about, you know, Black Panthers now moving forward. They're going to be shooting here in the summer and all that kind of stuff. And I, I proposed that a wacky idea, but really not all that wacky that, you know, Michael B. Jordan is already, you know, beloved by the MCU fans. He worked very closely with Chadwick Boseman. No actor works better with Ryan Coogler or has a better relationship with director Ryan Coogler than Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan has been there for every single one of Ryan Coogler's triumphs. He's been his actor. When you look at all that and the poeticness of the loss of Chadwick Boseman, who would be a good fit to step in? And while there are certainly elephant in the room type of problems, I kind of proposed Michael B. Jordan. Like, yeah, I, here's the thing, though. You don't need a multiverse explanation. Listen, when um, – why am I forgetting the, uh, the the iconic actress who played Clarice in uh, – Jodie Foster? Susset, Jody, yeah, when Jodie Foster didn't come back for the sequel – they didn't say we need a multiverse explanation for how it's a new actress playing it. They didn't do that. When Gambon had to replace Harris as, uh, as uh, uh, why am I forgetting the name of the character from Harry Potter? I'm not a big Potter head. Uh, not, not Dumbledore. Snape. Dumbledore. Thank you. Come on, dude. They didn't go. We you need some sort of, you go to the Harry Potter thing all the time. Well, just because my wife loves it so much. And it's a very fun place to be, but they didn't go, you know, we need a magical multiverse explanation for how it's no longer Richard Harris. No, no, no. The audience gets it. You know, yeah. when Don Cheadle filled in for and, and replaced uh, Howard as um, Rhodey in Iron Man 2, they didn't go, we need a multiverse explanation for why Don Cheadle. No, they said, Don Cheadle, come on screen and say, Rhodey, is that you? Yeah, it's me. Get used to it. And that was just their little wink to the eye. They didn't need a you don't need a multiverse explanation. You know, Michael B. Jordan is our new Black Panther. Now, I'm not saying that's what they're going to do. I'm just saying theoretically. And guess what? We as the audience will get it. There'll be 30 seconds of weirdness, like the, all those other examples, 30 seconds of awkwardness, and then our brains adjust and it's good. Rob, I'm going to tell you what. 
I didn't tell you this before the show started. Uh-oh. I actually, I actually had two. I actually had two people from studios message me yesterday and say, you know what? That's not a bad idea. I'm not saying that that's what they're going to do it. I just happen to have two people from the studios actually wrote to me and say, Hey, heard you about your Michael B. Jordan thing. That's an interesting take. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, um, Rob, I, I, we started the show late, but it, that's why I looked down. I was like, really? It's already 1130. We started the show late, but let's get in one more with you still here. Um, sure. Steven Johnson writes, Hey, John, have you seen the trailer for this new 2020 film called Alone? And your thoughts. Fun fact, it was produced by Paperclip Limited that is owned by the same person who voices Lisa Simpson, Yeardley Smith. Really? That's interesting. I have seen the trailer for that. Um, it's a it, it's a great low budget like I, I only remember seeing two people in the entire trailer. So low budget, low expense kind of thriller. And uh, it looks really good to me. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of that uh, Russell Crowe movie, Unhinged. You know, mm. girls driving her car, gets some dry, other driver that's freaky on her, turns out to be this big now horror thriller kind of thing. But uh, I thought it looked interesting. Rob, have you had a chance to see this trailer? Yeah, and I pre-ordered the Blu-ray based on that trailer. I haven't really? seen it yet. Yeah, it, to me, that looked – I read some great reviews of it. That movie, I love stories like that. It looks dope. So, yeah, I'm in. I just – I haven't seen it. I'm dying to see it. Well, listen, Rob, uh, that's all. I know you've got things you got to do. That's all the time you have for us today. But in the meantime, before we see you again, where can people follow you and your adventures online? Uh, you can follow me on um, Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett or RM Burnett. Find me on Twitter at Burnett RM or fi- find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work where we are still running the first Intergalactic Imagination Connoisseurs Film Festival. A really good little movie premieres at 2 o'clock today. Go check it out. All right, man. Thanks a lot for being here, and we will talk to you later. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. All right. For now, let's keep things on rolling here, guys. Uh, next one up is The Black Knight, who writes... Uh, Loki is kind of... Uh, let me make sure I didn't skip somebody. Uh, yeah, there we are. Okay. Loki is... Kind of the unofficial king of the modern day movie supervillains. Uh, Thanos has his fans, but I really feel both Zod and Killmonger are underrated. Uh, one movie, the performance and the impact, motivation levels. It took Loki a few movies to get to. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Listen, I love the Loki character. I love the Loki character. I don't know that I agree that he is the unofficial king of the modern day supervillains, though. I, I don't know that I agree with that. I, I certainly think there's – I personally think there's a stronger argument for Thanos to be that. And I'm not even sure Thanos is that. But I think there might be a stronger argument for Thanos being that. Uh, Zod, I love. Like I love Michael Shannon's Zod. Uh, completely, utterly loved him. And Killmonger was a fabulous – listen, Killmonger – Michael B. Jordan's Killmonger – I, I will go so far as to say it's 50% of the reason uh, that that movie was so great. You have to have a great villain, and Michael B. Jordan's villain was great. And a lot of that credit goes to the writers, of course. But, yeah, I, I thought he was great as well. Um, so I I don't know. I don't know that I'm comfortable saying any of them are like the de facto king of the movie villains. I, I certainly don't know that it's Loki. But I again, he is one of my favorite characters. I love that character. All right. Um, uh, uh, Adoles in Seattle writes, 
Hey, John, I'm trying to make a persuasive essay for college. Do I choose or I choose to do the decline of movie theaters? What should my thesis be about? Should it be the the should it be that number of theaters are decreasing? Uh, should I include solutions? Hope you can give me a bit of help. Thank you a lot. Well, I mean. What your thesis should be, that I can't give you. I mean, you have to decide what is what speaks to you, what goes, what to you makes sense, and what do you want to propose? Like, is your the purpose of your paper to provide a solution for the decline, or is it simply to be an observational piece about the decline and backing up the fact that it is in decline? Um, so I don't know. Personally, me, if somebody came to me and said, I need in two months a full report on the decline of movie theaters, uh, I would focus a lot on modern streaming. I would focus on two things, the COVID pandemic and modern streaming. And that's kind of where my thesis would be, but where it goes from there, it's all about what speaks to you and what is true for you. You know what I mean? So that's, that's the best kind of direction I can give. All right. Best of luck on that though. That sounds fascinating. All right. Alan writes, Hey, John and Rob, Technical question for you. I have a Galaxy Note 10 and currently have the Galaxy uh, Buds Plus and Skullcandy uh, Sesh Evo earbuds. What are some wireless earbuds slash headphones that you would recommend besides AirPods or Galaxy Buds? Listen, I've got the Galaxy Buds myself. I love the Galaxy Buds. Uh, I use those as my when I just want to have the discreet earbuds. But my when I'm not worried about just wearing something discreet and easy. My headphones of choice, and I bought these a couple of years ago, and they are still my favorite headphones. I bought the Bose uh, noise-canceling wireless headphones. The Bose wireless noise-canceling headphones have been probably my favorite audio purchase in years. And they're, they're not super expensive. They're like, I think they're like 350 bucks. So they're not super expensive, like really good. But they're no, the noise canceling on them is fantastic. The audio is absolutely fantastic. I have never been anything but absolutely thrilled with them. So I can't give you any recommendations other than the Samsung Galaxy earbuds. But as far as overall, uh, they're over the ear uh, Bose headphones. I absolutely love them. So that's, that's my recommendation, Alan. Best of luck in, in searching what you're searching for. All right. My name, Jeff writes. I love that name. Hey, John, I love Godzilla King of the Monsters. It was my favorite film of 2019. Rob loved it too. I thought it was very disappointing, but I saw it five times in theaters. Do you think we will see other Titans in Godzilla versus Kong like Rodan, Bohemoth, the new Muto, or even new Titans? We saw more Titan names, on the Monarch map. Oh yeah, we are going to, it's not a question of could we, it's we are. There are going to be more creatures uh, in it than that. And you will see Godzilla and Kong team up at some point. So I have, I have no, no doubt about that. Uh, there've been a lot of stuff coming out. Now, Godzilla, King of the Monsters to me was a letdown. I'll be honest with you. And I like the first Godzilla movie and I like the Kong movie. I was not, big on Godzilla King of the Monsters. It, to me, it just had several big weaknesses, but Rob really liked it. Rob loved it, as a matter of fact. So you would be in good company with Robert Meyer, but that. But I think the chances are very high, Jeff. I think the chances are very, very high. All right. Uh, Willow writes, now that we've uh, almost reached the end of the year, is it safe to assume that the Oscars are indeed happening? I don't think that's safe to assume. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'll still be surprised if the Oscars actually happen. I know there's a bunch of articles coming out right now about, oh, what Oscar favorites would be and blah, blah, blah. But I'm telling you, I I am not definitely saying the Oscars won't happen. I never have. I'm just saying I'm dubious. 
I am dubious about the potential of the Oscars app actually happening. I know everybody else says they are, and they very well might. They very well could. I, I'm just still dubious that they will. So we'll see, Willow. We'll see. I, I mean, listen, you know me. I love the Oscars. The Oscars are my second favorite day of the year. My favorite day of the year is Christmas. My second favorite day of the year is, is the Oscars. I like it more than my own birthday. That's how much I love the Oscars. Uh, but I'm I'm very dubious that they will happen, and I'm very dubious about whether they should happen. So, But we'll see. There's still a good chance that they will. All right. Opening up this week, writes, great username. Ten years ago, we had the PG version of Showgirls Burlesque. Uh, faster, the King's Speech. Oh, King's Speech is like one of my favorite films of the last ten years. Um, Love and Other Drugs and Tangled. And 20 years ago, we had the cl- Tangled was 10 years ago? Wow. Um, and uh, 20 years ago, we had the classic Unbreakable. 102 Dalmatians like to forget about that. John and Rob, can you guys show us your burlesque? <laughs> and thank you. No, well, I won't. If I won't even show you guys my breakdancing videos, I am certainly not going to show you burlesque. Not that I'm saying any of my burlesque dancing ever happened or that it exists on any side for tape anywhere, but the breakdancing ones do. Um, that one tangled you know what i guess when i think about it yeah tangled is an older film now but i wow 10 years ago was tangled wow like none of the other stuff surprises me king speech yeah show uh, burlesque all that kind of stuff but tangled whoo time does fly man time does fly all right next up orange hand rights uh, so I'm looking at the NFC East and I'm thinking there should be a rule where you can't make the postseason if you're not above 500, regardless of where you place in the division. This goes for other sports, too. I agree. The NFC East right now is an absolute joke. I believe the first place team, I'd have to double check the, the standings, but I believe the first place team in the NFC East is three and seven. I think it might be three and six, but it's a joke. The, the division's a joke. I remember in the CFL, I can't remember exactly how it used to work, but in the Canadian Football League, like they had the East, CFL East and West. They just had the two divisions, East and West. And they used to have a rule. I don't know if they still do anymore, where if, you know, you're in the top three, the top three in each division get into the playoffs, right? If you're in the top three, but you don't have as good of a record as the number four in the other division, then the number four team in the other division gets your playoff spot. If you come in third in your division and the top three teams get into the playoffs and you're in third place, but your third place record isn't as good as the other division's fourth place team that didn't get into the playoffs over there, then that team got to come over for the playoffs into your division and bump you out. I totally believe in that. This whole thing about the division winner automatically gets in the playoffs. Nah, that should be gone. If you're, if you're maybe not under every circumstance, but you're right. If you're not even 500, I'm sorry. If you're 500 and there are teams that like with 11 wins, we've had teams with 11 wins not make the playoffs before, but let's say even 10 wins. If you're not even 500 and there's a team with 10 wins not getting into the playoffs, that can't happen. That can't happen anymore. They should absolutely make a rule about that or a chant. Absolutely. All right. Next up. In honor of Mako writes, 
I grew up with The Last Airbender. You said your favorite moment from the show yesterday was Uncle Iroh, Iroh's Tale episode. It was. It was my favorite moment in that show. And that's my favorite moment, too. It brings tears every time I watch it, especially knowing uh, that was the voice actor Mako's last episode uh, because... Uh, of him dying of cancer. So the episode brings that extra feel of having narrating purpose of him celebrating his son's life. While at the same time, we as the audience sing that song honoring Mako too, uh, the same as Iroh with his son, Rest in Power. Yeah, I mean, it, it really was sad. And I think that was probably, I was a little disappointed in the last season of The Last Airbender that we didn't get a lot of Iroh. But I mean, obviously, I think that was because of Mako. But the voice actor they got to fill in for him did a pretty admirable job. But uh, yeah, I mean, when I think of Mako, I go all the way back to Conan the Barbarian, man. Like that first Arnold Conan the Barbarian. When I think of him, that's where my mind goes. But you're right. It, you're, you're absolutely right. It adds that little extra level of oomph to that scene, which I think is the best scene and best moment in the history of Avatar, uh, was that picnic Iroh was having and honoring his son and singing the song. Best moment. Absolute best moment. That does add a little bit more to it. All right. Next up, Jared's Reviews writes, Hey, John, I'm a Patreon member. Thank you so much for being a Patreon supporter. So I was able to watch your documentary early, and I'm not a fan of documentaries, but I got to say, overall, Doug, your doc, it made me appreciate the importance of a trailer has and how much thought goes into putting a trailer together. Congrats. Thank you so much for that, man. Thank you for going and checking out the trailer and watching it. And I hope you guys will all go and check it out and watch it. Please, dear God, everybody go and check it out and watch, watch it so I can make another project. But no, seriously, thank you for checking it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I hope that when you guys watch it, eh, take the earphones off now. I hope when you guys have a chance to watch it, that uh, you guys will find it interesting too. That's I'm really, really hopeful for that. Thank you again for that, uh, Jared. I really appreciate that. Uh, D-Train writes, John, I like you. But the Michael B. Jordan coming back as T'Challa 2 in Black Panther is the dumbest thing I've heard in my life. I'm also surprised you said that because you always say that actors are not there to serve the story. The story is uh, the story. Sorry, the, the actors are there to serve the story. The story is not there to serve the actors. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you need somebody. Here's, here's the reality. You need somebody to come in and pick up the baton for uh, Chadwick Boseman. You need somebody to come and pick up the baton for him and to carry on. So you need somebody. It is already, there is several precedents already in place of this, of actors playing different roles in the same cinematic universe, whether it's TV or in the movies or whatever. There's already several examples of it. And while I believe there is a general rule for everything, there are always exceptions. Look, the Chadwick Boseman situation is a very tragically, but a very unique situation. It's a very tragically unique situation that carries with it more emotional baggage than the typical scenario. And that's why I kind of throw And again, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I believe I said it's got a 10% chance of happening. But I, like I said, I even had studio people write to me and say, love that idea. I had studio people writing to me to say they love that idea. Anyway, what's really, what's the drawback? Well, he played another character in the series so far. Oh, well. It's not like he has an ongoing character. It's not like Killmonger is still in the MCU. Killmonger's dead. Killmonger's gone. It would take, you know, we as audiences, we're not stupid. Like once a different actor starts playing a role, there's 30 seconds of readjusting our heads and feeling a little bit awkward and then we're fine. 
And then we're totally good. Again, I'm not saying it's what they're going to do. I think there's only like a 10% chance, which means I'm saying there's a 90% chance it doesn't happen. But I believe there is a lot of ways that getting Michael B. Jordan to pick up the baton for Chadwick Boseman and be T'Challa now, it addresses a lot of those unique hurdles that they have. The unique hurdles of the emotion, the emotional element that's tied to this, of the audience who were connected to Chadwick Boseman, about the, the poeticness of having somebody who works so closely with Chadwick and who works so closely with director Ryan Coogler and is beloved in the franchise already. There is a poetic element to that. Again, this isn't an issue of the story being there to serve the actor. The actor would still have to come in and serve the story. You don't change T'Challa. You don't write different things for T'Challa just to suit Michael B. Jordan, but you do have to have a new actor come in to pick up the baton. And I think... I think Chadwick Boseman being or Chadwick Boseman having his baton picked up by Michael B. Jordan addresses a lot of the very unique hurdles and the unique situation that audiences feel that the studio feels and all that kind of stuff. And I think it it becomes a, a, a beautiful thing. I think it's a beautiful thing. Again, I don't really think it's going to happen, but I just think that's why I think it'd be a beautiful thing. All right. Brad Karat writes, hey, John. Patreon supporter here. Thank you so much for being a Patreon supporter, Brad. Just finished watching your documentary and I absolutely loved it. So glad that the trailer for your film lived up to the actual film. Two massive thumbs up from Australia. Well, thank you so much for that, Brad. Again, for the people wondering why is that I mentioned earlier in the show that I gave my Patreon supporters early access to it. And um, just to, as a little small, tiny way of saying thank you to them for supporting me and the show and everybody who's involved with the channel on that level is great. So I'm so glad you enjoyed it, Brad. And uh, once again, guys, I just plug, plug, plug um, my movie, movie trailers, a love story. It's going to be available for rent on Amazon video and available for rent on Vimeo on demand. Uh, on Amazon Video, it'll be available in the UK and the US and one or two other markets, but it is worldwide available on Vimeo. So it's going to be there. I will supply all the direct links to where you can get it when we officially launch them. So thank you again for that, uh, Brad. I really appreciate you checking it out, man. Uh, John Ox writes, Hello, Mr. Campy and Mr. Meyer. Rob unfortunately stepped away. I hope you're both having a good day. I am so far. Thank you. Anyway, I am writing my question from down under, and I was wondering in both of your uh, options, who are the top five actors? Well, I, just so you know, I don't do top fives. You know, when people write in, it's very well known. I don't do what's top five, this top 10, that I, I don't do those just, just so you know, but I will tell you just off the top of my head who I think some of the best actors in the world are right now. Um, I think, Obviously, you have to look at a Denzel. You have to look at a Leo DiCaprio. I think Chiwetel Ejiofor is truly an absolute elite powerhouse actor. He's like one of the great, great, greats. Uh, I believe the best actor in the world um, who doesn't have an Academy Award, I believe the best actor in the world still working right now who does not have an Academy Award is Rafe Fiennes, who played Voldemort in the Harry Potter franchise. I think he's the best actor in the world to not have an Academy Award. Um so, uh, yeah, there's just a bunch of random guys that I think that I would put on the top shelf for sure. Those are some of the ones that uh, strike me. Anyway, thanks for writing in, John. I appreciate that. Uh, uh, Kintama writes, 
Hey, John, have you heard of the Demon Slayer uh, Kimitsu uh, no Yeba uh, movie that broke all the all time opening weekend records in Japan were released on October 16th, despite the pandemic? I hope it's received well when it reaches the US. The animation is amazing. I have heard about it. I, I haven't seen it or know much about it. But when it came out in Japan and started shattering Japanese box office records, that made news. So I am curious to see it. I, I don't know even if it is available to be viewed right now in North America. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. I just don't know. Maybe you guys in the live comments um, can let me know. Uh, can let me know uh, what you think about it. But and if there if it is available somewhere to watch. But, yeah, I heard about that. And it's pretty impressive. I mean, it could also be like the coming out of the pandemic stuff. Obviously, Japan has done a much better job with their pandemic management than we in North America have. So that could be a part of it. But I am curious to see it. I'm curious to see it. All right. Jack Lumbers writes, John, Seattle or settle. Sorry, John, settle a discussion. Who would win in a fight? Tom Ellis's Lucifer or Mark Pellegrino's Lucifer? Mark Pellegrino plays Lucifer in Supernatural. Um, That's pretty easy. Uh, Mark Pellegrino's Lucifer, Supernatural's Lucifer. Now, I prefer Mark Ellis in the show Lucifer. I prefer that character. I prefer that that show. I prefer that whatever. But um, they very, very much underpower. They Lucifer doesn't have much power at all, really. When you look at Lucifer, he's got some power, but he's not really all that powerful when you look at it. Whereas the way they write Lucifer and Supernatural, he's... I mean, he's unstoppable in many ways, right? So, yeah, I would I would say the one who would win in a fight is probably Supernatural's uh, Lucifer, but just because that's the way they write him. They write him as being more powerful. That's just the only reason. All right, Jack Lumbers also writes, uh, when is it okay on your channel to talk about the series finale of Supernatural? Not going to lie, I really want to hear your theories uh, that you mentioned uh, on last week's companion video. I mean, I probably think in the next day or two, listen, television is different from movies. Movies, I usually say you got to give a couple of months before you get into pure big spoiler talk. But for television, I usually, I say television, you got like a 24 hour grace period. After 24 hours, if you haven't seen that episode, that's on you. The rest of us got to be able to openly talk about it because we've got a new episode coming in a few days, right? For the series finale, I'm, I'm going to say sometime later this week, we're going to be uh, probably have more openly discuss it uh, because there is a lot to unwrap in that finale. And uh, I really enjoyed it. But uh, yeah, so I'd say probably in a couple of days. All right. Kevin Lewis writes, it's a shame a good series only has one season. Example, Vinyl, a Martin Scorsese produced HBO series about the cutthroat 1970s record business. It stars our boy Jack Quaid, Olivia Wilde, and wow, keep an eye on Bobby Cannavale's career. Oh, his, he's had a career for a long time uh, as a co-head. Um, I never did watch it. It came and went so quickly. Uh, a lot of things like that happened. For instance, talking about great shows that just had one season. The Dark Crystal. The Dark Crystal on Netflix. Fabulous show. They did such a great job on that show. They canceled it after one season. Couldn't believe it. It is really a shame. I mean, look, business is business. If a show's not making you money, you don't keep spending money on it. That's just that simple. It's a business. So I get it, but it, it really is. It is one of the great uh, tragedies 
in television when a great show only gets one season. Uh, problem is, the last show in the series was left open-ended without resolving some important story arcs. Do you think that screenwriters should be cautious and anticipate a series only going one season or go for broke with their season finales? No, no, no. You, you don't write a show expecting it to end after one season. You can't do that. You can't write your show expecting it to last for one season. A great example of this. Um, let me just make sure I've I've got the name of the show here. I, I, oh, I can't remember the name of the show. What was the name of the show? I, you know, this has come up a couple of times. I think it was called Awake. It was Jason Isaac's show. Jason Isaac, who plays uh, uh, the, the evil dad in the Harry Potter movie, the, like the senior Malfoy. He had this great show called Awake. I loved this show. And you've heard me talk about this show before. It's where Jason Isaacs, he's a cop. He has a son and a wife. He gets into a car accident and his son dies. He goes to sleep that night, wakes up the next day, and suddenly he's in a reality where yesterday his wife died in the car accident, not his son. Then he wakes up the next day and he's back in that universe where now it's two days later, but he's in a universe where his son died, not his wife. And every time he goes to sleep and wakes up, he switches realities. You know, on one day he's living in the reality that his wife died in that car accident. The next day he's living in a reality where his son died in that car accident and time keeps progressing forward. It's amazing. And season one ends with him about to discover what on earth is going on with him. How is this happening to him? Why is it happening to him? That was the season one cliffhanger. And it never got renewed for a second season. But see, that's the way you've got to write these shows. You've got to write these shows the way you're going to write the show. You shouldn't write it thinking, well, I might not get a season two. So I'll just write as, no, 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 no. Don't write for defeat. Don't write for defeat. Because you never know. Having those that cliffhanger at the end could be the one little thing that nudges a network to say, you know what? There was enough interest. People really got into the cliffhanger. We will greenlight season two. Yeah. So don't write for defeat, write for success, write for success. That's, that's kind of my take on it at any rate. Okay. Let's see here. Uh, Preston Walden writes with the recent news of an infusion of 750 million to Cinemark and saying they will open next year and rising stock prices with the theaters plus the news with a third vaccine coming do you think this helps AMC's outlook what is your confidence level now my confidence level is still a record low but it's not because of see it used to be my confidence level in the theater survival used to be low because of pandemic stock prices blah 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 as the pandemic progressed and like Disney accelerated, as Bob Chapek says, accelerated their plans to go become a completely direct-to-consumer company. The reason I'm still very pessimistic has nothing to do with vaccines or the pandemic. My pessimism is now because the big studios like Disney and Warner Brothers is sure to follow suit are going to start creating their content for direct-to-consumer, not for theatrical. And that's where my pessimism is. So the pandemic can go away. Yay. We can get a vaccine. Stock prices can rise. That's all great. The problem is if the people who provide the biggest movies for movie theaters, Disney, Warner Brothers and others, they start foregoing the theaters and just going straight to their streaming direct to consumer business, then the then the era of the theatrical experience is doomed. I'm still hopeful. 
I'm still hopeful, Preston, but still pessimistic at the same time. All right. Last two questions of the day, guys. Brian Fantana writes, Highlander in your top 10 inspired me to figure out my favorite 10 movies in random order. Goldfinger. Wow. Uh, There will be blood. Love that movie. Unforgiven. Best Western of all time. V for Vendetta. Rear Window. Inception. Vertigo. Tenet. The Lord of the Rings and Star Wars trilogy. Please give a seal of approval. I like all of them. I like all those films. Listen, none of those films other than the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the Star Wars trilogy are in my personal top 10, but these are all solid picks. These are all solid picks. There will be blood greatest male performance of all time by Daniel day Lewis unforgiven. I still believe is the greatest Western of all time. Clint Eastwood's thing there rear window. You're talking about some classic in there vertigo as well. I, uh, tenant is the one I have a question. mark. Like I like tenant. I like tenant, but it's also one of my least favorite Christopher Nolan films. That's how good Christopher Nolan is. Um, that, it is one of my least favorite of his films, and it's still a movie I like, but I, I wouldn't put it anywhere near a top 10, but that's just me personally. That's why all films are subjective, and that's why I have Highlander in my top 10, but other than that, man, I think you got some great films on your list there. All right, Murray Reich writes, I recently watched Fat Man with Mel Gibson, and it was all right, very interesting, but very weird concept. The whole movie is a suspension of disbelief, but I think Mel Gibson gave a very good performance, he normally does, um, of a disgruntled Santa. Walton Goggins was good as well, 5.5 out of 10. Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by this movie. I'm not going to lie, I'm fascinated by it. I remember when Aaron Cummings and I watched the trailer for that, I said, look, this looks like it could be one of the worst films of all time. But I'd be lying if I didn't tell you, I'm actually really interested and curious to see it. I still have not seen it myself, but thanks for giving me the heads up on that. And thanks for giving your impressions on it, Murray. I appreciate that. All right. Oh, I said that was the last one. You know what? We'll make this the last one of the day. An anonymous viewer writes, how are theater chains like AMC still running when there have been very few movies out and none of which are blockbusters, especially you can't get a big buck out of showing old catalog movies. There's so many expenses to pay. True. They've been burning money. They've been burning money. But I get the strategy. The strategy is just make sure people know that the theaters are open. So when the bigger movies do start coming back, they don't have to just start getting people used to the idea of movie theaters being open. I think that was one of one of the many things, not the main thing, but I think that was one of the many things that was working against Tenet. All right, Tenet came out in theaters. And I think a lot of people still didn't even realize any theaters were open back up again. So I think the strategy, even though I don't agree with it, AMC should be shut down right now to conserve money and to conserve capital. But I understand their strategy. I think their strategy is to make sure be open, make sure people know we're open for business. Whether you come or not, people will know that we're open so that when the big movies do start coming out again in their minds, people will know we're here. And we don't have to go through some big awareness campaign to let people know that we're even still around again. I think that's their strategy, but it is burning through money, money they don't have. So that's why I still think it's the wrong decision for them to be open right now. But I, they might be I mean, I can see where they're coming from. Even though I don't agree with it, I can see where they're coming from. So that's kind of probably the thought on that. All right, guys, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campius Show, 
Thank you so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. For those of you who do watch live, again, apologies for the little hiccup we had trying to get the show launched and going again. And listen, there are still a few questions left to go from Anonymous, Obi-Wan, Smokey, Andrew Jones, and a few others. Don't worry about that, guys. Don't, though, we will start off our live questions part of the show tomorrow with your live questions. We You sent them in. They're going to get answered properly in a video. So do not worry about that whatsoever. Guys, special thank you to all of you who did send in those questions because number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported this channel while you did it. And all of us here involved with the John Campio YouTube show, thank you guys very, very much for that support. Once again, guys, going to be plugging this hard for the rest of the month, probably. Uh, my new movie, movie trailers, a love story. Uh, it does become available. If you are a Patreon supporter, make sure you go and look at the Patreon page because it's available for you guys right now. But for the rest of everybody else, this Thursday, it will be available for rent on Amazon Video and Vimeo On Demand. I hope you guys will check it out. And when you do, I do hope that you enjoy it. Guys, please do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name is John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.